Good morning, good evening, good night, and welcome to the all-new Midnight Movie Club. Welcome back to another episode of the Midnight Movie Club. I'm your host, Lester Rowe. Uh, look, kind of been a minute. Wait, before we get started. So this is the brand, if you're new to the show, this is the brand new, all-new Midnight Movie Club uh, show every Wednesday. It's supposed to be every Wednesday. About every Wednesday. Let's just say that. About every Wednesday. Uh, we do spoil on this show. So if you uh, are listening and there's a movie you haven't watched and I bring it up, just assume that it's going to be spoiled and come back, you know, when you've seen it. But I'll help you with that in the comments of every episode. Not the comments, but the show notes and the uh, uh, comments or whatever. I'll let you know what is talked about so you know uh, what's, what's happening in each episode and you can decide if you're going to listen all the way through or if you're going to come back to it. Uh, uh, let me see what else I got. Arrowfilms.net. Arrowfilms.com, A-R-O-W-E films.net or .com. Had a situation on my website. So, therefore, once I get .com back, I'll have both. So, there's that. Or you can follow me on social media uh, at Arrowfilms, YouTube, all that type of stuff. We got shorts. We got reels. We got everything, uh, uh, TikTok, all of it. Just go follow everything. You can see clips from the show when we have guests. This week's solo episode, no guests. Um, so let me catch y'all up a little bit. Uh, there was a Thanksgiving thing that happened. There was uh, several different things that happened. I've been working on some guests. I've been working on this new bonus content for the show. Uh, it's called The Screening Room. We got one... Uh, we got one episode done. I'm trying to get a couple more done. It's a real unique concept. I won't say a lot more about it, but it is coming very soon. It's supposed to come this month, November. It hasn't yet. It's really my fault. I've been kind of caught up in some other stuff, been doing some work. That's why I went from like every Wednesday to like mostly every Wednesday because just the work that I'm doing, man. I got commercial work going on. It's the holidays. I'm uh we'll talk about that. We'll get into holidays uh here in a second. But uh a lot of production stuff. I'm trying to get this freelance thing popping. I'm trying to get the YouTube figured out with the show and all the clips and everything that come with this. So it's like being very hectic and really trying to build. I'm rebuilding my website. It's just a lot of a lot of shit. So that's kind of what's been going on where some episodes got missed. Um, there is a episode that will randomly come out in the next few days uh, with my man Adam Knapp. There was an audio issue. This was actually one of the first episodes that was recorded, but I couldn't put it out because the audio was so bad after we lost all the audio. Like the official audio was left, was lost and corrupted. And uh, I couldn't get back. I kept trying. I did everything to try to get it work because it was a really great episode because some of you may know I wanted to originally call the podcast. Uh, I want to call the podcast uh, Stanley Kubrick is overrated. That's what I wanted to do. And so we get a lot. We get really deep into that because Stanley Kubrick is one of his favorite uh, filmmakers. So that'll be coming out in the, 
real soon, but the audio is going to be terrible. The video will be up as well. Uh, one thing, just to kind of make things work better, we're going to put a delay on video. We're trying, I know it's weird. We're trying to figure some stuff out. We're going to probably put a delay on video. I'm not sure if I want to do that yet. We'll figure it out. We'll check out the workflow. I got a few interviews, uh, conversations rather, that's in the tuck. And I got some coming up. So I might be running real hard in the next couple, several weeks. So we can get those episodes on a regular because with Christmas coming, I need y'all. I mean, y'all, some of y'all don't really want to be with the family. Some of y'all don't want to really be locked in and you want to get some of this conversation. Um, I'm going to do that for you. And I mean, it's just a lot, yo. I'm really trying to get the platform to work. Because the thing with the uh, kind of, not the kind of famous, that's my old show, the Midnight Movie Club. I hope I didn't say kind of famous when I started. But the thing with the Midnight Movie Club, I'm trying to make it the stop. The the main stop when these filmmakers come to town, these filmmakers are locked in. I want this to be the place that they stop to. You get those good conversations, good interviews, and good debates and topics uh, from film and TV uh, lovers, reviewers, enthusiasts, all of that. This one, I want this to be the stop, and that's... That's one thing I'm trying to make sure I build up on all facets so we have a workflow. And y'all know what to expect with the Midnight Movie Club come 2023. Now, we uh, that's the boring stuff. Um, so we'll move forward. Uh, we're going to be adding some unique content to the actual show as well. Uh, we'll see how it works. I have enlisted some some brilliant and talented people to help with that. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Holidays. Ah, let me see. Let me see. Oh, there was something that happened over the holidays that I want to talk about. Uh, let's go into man. It's been a bunch of movie stuff. Look, here's the other part, man. It's so much stuff. My man Easton from. Who was on the show, uh, who was on the uh, uh, previous episode, who is the host of the movie Moron. Uh, go check out his podcast. Um, he said we need to talk about movies more. It's the Midnight Movie Club. And sometimes you talk about movies, a lot of times you're talking about TV. The thing with TV and movies is like sometimes you just got to be in the mood. That's a real particular difference when like when, when dealing with uh, – you know, critics, reviewers, stuff like that. Like, they're constantly watching stuff, as I told him. Like, you're always watching. Because I'm creating, I spend a bulk of my day actually, like, making commercials and telling stories and documentaries and all this other stuff. Sometimes I just want to dumb out on some things. I just want to go stupid on some things. And YouTube and TV allows that to happen. Uh, I've been on Netflix watching Unsolved Mysteries on YouTube, watching fucking interrogation videos, people come up missing, like all this type of stuff is kind of what I'm doing on a regular basis. I can't even tell. What's the last thing I watched on uh, Netflix? Uh, whatever it is, it was a show. It was episodic. Um, like I said, there was Unsolved Mysteries. There's one about this bodybuilder who uh, killed her husband. I don't even remember the name of it. 
like that's one thing too. One thing like when creating. You know, we we create all this content. There ones like I ain't saying content. You create like movies and shows and series, and like when you lot, it, it's kind of unfortunate. It's like a blessing and a curse because in one 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 position, you watch these shows, and they become mind numbing. Like they're entertaining. But they become mind-numbing in a way. Like, once you move on to the next thing, you almost forget about that thing. And then, like, all you can tell people, oh, yeah, I saw that. How'd you like it? Eh, I think it was good. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, really, it was, it was good. I, I'm, I'm, hold on. Let me see. What happened? What happened? And one thing Netflix is doing is, is they're doing these series. And I said before how, like, they make these series, and this really could have been, like, one whole movie and we'd have been done. One whole movie would be done. Speaking of, we got an episode coming up real soon. Till Swan. Till Swan. Uh, off the deep end. Gotta watch it on Hulu. Gotta watch it. Me and Taylor, who talked about uh, uh, a conspiracy, not conspiracy, cults and stuff like that. We talk about it, We get deep into it. That's coming. But that was like a four-parter. But now, like, Netflix is slowly getting to, like, the three-parter. And we're talking three-parter, 40-minute, 50-minute. Now, at that point, if you're going 40 minutes and another 40 minutes and another 40 minutes, that's a movie, yo. Just package it all up, make it a whole movie so I can watch it in one. I mean, I'm watching it in one sitting anyway. So why are we splitting this thing up, especially if it ain't going to TV or anything like that? So... Um, that's one thing uh that's that that that's been playing out. I is watching these Netflix shows and almost not even remembering them. Cause they happen just so so frequently. So often. What's the last thing I watched? I just watched something. Uh and we talked about smile. Um Barbarian, I need to watch. Everyone's telling me how good Barbarian is. I need to watch that. Uh, uh, man, I don't know. You know, I've been into Atlanta. That's one of my favorite shows. Um, damn, that's crazy. All the shit. I, I know I don't watch Blend. I can't even, can't even tell you. Um, one movie that has uh, a little bit of stir on it is uh, Strange World. Strange World was a Pixar effort. Let me pull up the synopsis on Strange World. But Strange World is significant for many reasons. Um, you know, much like Princess and the Frog, uh, where it was the first uh, Pixar. Well, this doesn't say it's Pixar. Someone said it was Pixar. But it's one of those first movies or princess movies that featured a predominantly black black cast and the lead princess was black. She was the first black princess in the uh, Disney world. Disney, you know, whatever you call that kind of world. Strange world. Here we go. Um, I guess it's not Pixar. It is the 61st animated film produced by Walt Disney Studios. Uh, I'm trying to get the big the, the big synop on this, the thing that they won't say outright. 
in this whole uh, ordeal. Now, I haven't seen this, but the main synopsis here says, uh, the Clades are a legendary family of explorers whose differences threaten to topple the, their latest and most crucial mission into an uncharted and t- treacherous territory. But that's all well and, 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 and good. But part of it was the LGBTQ issues, for lack of better terms, that were presented in said uh, show. This is strange words to lose $100 million. It took $100 million to make. Strange world, and they're going to lose quite a bit of it. Uh, there wasn't a lot of attention uh, brought to it. Uh, there's marketing issues. Uh, $147 million, I guess it made. Well, it keep, damn, every time I pull it up, it's new money loss. They keep losing money. They can't make money. Uh, I'm trying to find someone brave enough to say the thing that was the well we'll talk about it I'm not going to say it was the issue but some would say it is there is a issue and while I'm recording I'm getting work getting work Um, that's why it's been hard to fucking record the show but there's an LGBTQ issue, not issue, I hate saying issue, uh, theme that uh, has hit Strange World. Um, some would say, well, that's not the issue, it's when it came out. It came out at a bad time. Fair argument, fair argument to say, say the least. Um, but no reviewer will actually speak to this uh, problem or like of it being gay. Now, so how do we begin this conversation? Um, you like to think that movies can just be movies. You know, very often I have said about even my own work is that uh, I don't particularly care to be considered a black filmmaker or a black movie or things of that nature. It's like a movie. I just made a movie and that's it. We made a movie. Um, Instead of getting lost into this concept that this is a black film. Um. Hold on, I just saw a headline about this that is kind of um, interesting. Um, we'll get to it in a second. So, the part when they say the LGBTQ issue in this film is the reason why it didn't do well. Uh, I don't know if that's the reason why it didn't do well. It could also be, it could be the reason why the marketing did not work. I had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine at work who who will be a guest on the show one day um, about that thing. 
You know, it's like it's not he and he, he would say it's not being marketed to the people who is for the audience, the LGBTQ audience. Um, but I asked him, I said, well, at the end of the day, it does have to make money. Does the LGBT community, is there enough people in the LGBT community to make $100 million, $147 million? Like, has there been a movie that's successful that you go, I'm going to market to uh, this community and make $100 million? That's a tough, that led to a bigger debate. But I go, you know, you look at, horror films and things like this that get canned and they get shelved and all this type of stuff. Uh, they have to figure out how to make this money back after they spend it. Now, he goes, well, why make the movie if you're not going to put it out? Plenty of movies get made and never get put out. At least they put it out. Or why make the movie and not market it the way it needs to be marketed? Why, why do you want to lose money? I don't think any studio wants to lose money, but when you're a big enough studio like Disney, you can afford to lose money. And that's kind of one of those situations they could afford to lose the money by not marketing well. There was another film I can't think of. It was a romantic comedy that uh, was LGBTQ film. And um, some argue wasn't marketed well. A lot of people didn't know about it. I didn't know about Strange World until relatively recently. Uh, when I say relatively recently, like a few days before recording this, this, this podcast. And it's weird to go like, who do you market that to? Now, I'm not absent of the fact that we're kind of in this world where people are talking about grooming and stuff like that. There's issues with Balenciaga and some of their marketing things and people trying to understand what's really going on with that. Um, and that's a really that's a real issue that is uh both concerning but also could be a misunderstanding and a misrepresentation of what's actually happening sometimes it what we are told is happening isn't really happening but you know I'm not absent that that is something that's happening right now that is a discourse that is uh, affecting can affect a movie like this uh, a kids movie family movie uh, in which there is uh, a scene that could be off-putting for even progressive people, because um, there comes a point where you are you you are challenged on your uh, creed and 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 morals and ways of thinking and your philosophy on life, where no matter how progressive you are, you still kind of step back a little bit. So I'm not absent of that. Um, which makes it an unfair comparison when we go, well, let's compare it to black films. Let's compare it to Asian American films. Let's per compare it to Latin American films uh, who are off the beaten path, but there's an audience that has crossover. You know, sometimes in the LGBTQ community, there's the idea of like, well, they're allies. So sometimes... Black Lives Matter have taught us that allies are only allies until it's time to ally. You know, until it's time to do the work, until it's time to seriously support something, sometimes they're not all the way there. And with a movie, 
that is challenging that that has a sprinkle and that's the curious part sometimes like movies won't even certain situations won't even be like heavy-handed in its whatever thing is trying to be let's just say in this case gayness or lgbtq and or or progressiveness in that realm it's not even heavy-handed it could be something very small and slight and that'll be enough to take over the narrative of of a project i'm reading this article that says from ursula to elsa to uh luca Disney has done a very done the very least in LGBTQ representation for years. They're giving us queer-coded villains, background characters that may be lesbians, minor characters who have easy-to-cut lines declaring their orientation, or some main characters who seem subtextually queer but won't dare declare. Incredibly, in the same year, just uh, deposed Disney CEO Bob uh, Chepik earned backlash for the company's response to Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. The studio also released Strange World, which features a main character who is undeniably gay. And this time, it finally feels like a worthwhile representation. Um, I don't want to get into those particulars. It's just talking about the film itself. But um, okay, let's jump down here. Searchers have uh, has had no uh, issues with his uh, son being gay. This is a character in the film, um, um, and damn, and he even shows the earnest enthusiasm when Ethan Crush Dazo uh, uh, comes by the farm. But surely the gruff, toxic, toxically masculine grandpa Jaeger uh will bristle right wrong midway through the film Ethan and his grandfather share a quiet moment amid a mission to save the world the old man asks if the boy has a sweetheart Ethan and Dizio are an official but the crush burns so hard that it shows in Ethan's blushing cheeks I read it myself for the question that uh, heteronormative media has trained me to expect what's her name but instead when screenplay dodges that trope uh, and with it, homophobia altogether. Instead, Jaeger says excitedly, who is it? Who is it? And just like that, the gender expectation that his grandson's sweetheart is a girl is gone. The word sweetheart itself is a gender neutral meaning. Uh, is gender, gender neutral, meaning the possibility was cleverly baked into Wynn's script. Uh, when Ethan answers his grandfather, whom he's never met before, isn't shocked to discover the boy's gay. It's not an issue. It's not a thought. And that is incredibly exciting because this queer teen character isn't queer as a plot point. The movie is not exploiting his identity as a tool for trauma. Instead, Strange World acknowledges the gay kids can just exist in the media and not have their identity threatened like grounds for a teachable moment. So, in the case of Strange World, you do have this, uh, as they say, overtly gay uh, main character who is in a relationship. Not only that, relatively young. Not only that, there is an acceptance in this uh, movie. Now, Disney allowed it to be made. They finished it. They put it out. Uh, in ways, the lack of marketing means 
to me that they made the film as kind of like an olive branch. I hear we'll give them a we'll give them we'll give them a movie. Um, which I don't know how I feel. I'm not gay. It's not a real problem in my world. Uh, it's not nothing that I contend with on a day to day basis. Um, but sometimes I think. Kind of like Black Lives Matter. Kind of like a lot of things. Like, yo, you got a movie. Make some more of them. Make a lot of them. Also, don't be upset if people don't go watch it. You watch it because you enjoy it. Tie in with music. I don't go off of, uh, you know, what people tell me I should like, what's the hottest artist. Not a big fan of Beyonce. No matter how many times people tell me, go, uh, Listen to Beyonce's new album, I really don't. I'm not that interested. I don't go to go listen to things that are not, you know, in, uh, that I don't want to watch, listen, or experience. I just don't. Um, but I'm not in the business of making money for Disney. Um, is it better for Disney to put the movie out? Uh... Is it easy for Disney to not spend a bunch more money trying to market something um, that it probably internally feels like it's it's a lost leader anyway? I don't know. I don't know. That makes that like super difficult. Um, obviously, it's like take a risk, do something, be risky, risk, do some risk taking. I agree with that. Do something, try it. Don't just make it and put it out. Make it and put a real effort to see if there's an audience for it, knowing that you'll lose money. Problem is, when you're in the business of making money, you lose money taking a risk. You don't take that risk twice. Not without guarantees. That's the tough part. When you're a marginalized group, looking to, to find your place in the mainstream of things as our LGBTQ brothers and sisters are. Unfortunately, this movie comes out at a time where the narrative in America and American politics is about grooming and that sort of thing. It was doomed to fail right now. And you can't really push it back because then you push it back, it gets forgotten. Then uh, there is no opportunity for it. But one unique thing that Disney have is they have a very, very, very large platform. They can actually see how well it does in streaming. And, and two, you know, I'm very much, and um, Quentin Tarantino actually has a thing. We'll jump into that. That's very uh, um, relatable to this conversation. Uh, and it is about making money. Let me see. Let me pull it up. I got it here. Give me one second. Um, is it Tarantino? Maybe it's not. It's Scorsese. Scorsese uh, talks about the idea of money in films. There's this obsession, this thing I don't like. I don't like the idea of Oh, this movie flopped. It, it lost $100 million because opening weekend, it didn't make a bunch of money. But see, 
we have began using the idea of making money as this, uh, or how much money the movie made as the barometer of if the movie was good or not, if it was successful or not, or or not even successful. Let's, let's just say good. I would I would like to say a movie is successful if you found it to be entertaining and good. Not how much money it makes. But how much money it makes is money it makes is a skewed um metric anyway. Cause in the end of the day, and I may have talked about this before, but at the end of the day, um, um if the tickets for twenty dollars a pop makes two hundred bucks in one location. Then you go to another location or actually another part of the day. Same theater, same movie. Take $7 a pop. Makes $28. Whatever. Making up some shit. That's still four tickets either way. Now my math is fucked up, but let's just say it's four tickets. You figure out the math for four tickets each. You can say easily, oh, man, it made more money on Tuesday than it made on Monday. The price is different. The price is different all over the country for how much um, for how much uh, a movie ticket costs. So how is that an indicator of its success if it's only measured by how much money it makes and the money it makes changes theater to theater, location to location. Time of day from time of day. How is that a real indicator? I'm for movie ticket counting. How many movie tickets did it sell? Did it sell 50 million tickets? 200,000 tickets? 100,000 tickets? That's why I'm at. And I'm going to get to Scorsese here in a second. But like Avatar. Avatar is one of the biggest movies ever, uh, highest grossing movies ever made. At a time when IMAX was fresh, 3D was fresh. All these ways that you could watch Avatar had different premium pricing on it. So it's often compared with um, Gone with the... Gone with the Wind? Not Gone with the Wind. The Sound of Music. I think The Sound of Music is like one of the biggest films ever. And then Titanic. So you take Titanic, The Sound of Music. I hope that's the right movie. The Sound of Music, and then you take Avatar. These are like the three biggest films ever. The difference between all three of them, Titanic, Sound of Music, and uh, uh, Avatar, is Avatar had probably five or six different pricing structures. So even when you like measured against inflation or whatever, it don't really work because you can go see Avatar five different ways and it's five different ticket prices. Five different, four different premiums against a regular matinee. How is that even remotely fair? How does that even remotely make sense? I don't know. So I'm from count the tickets. Let the tickets prices 
uh, uh, not ticket count determined how well it did. Because uh, a, a movie can make, the right movie can make $100 million, sell 100,000 tickets. The wrong movie can make $100 million and sell 60,000 tickets. Just for no other reason than the sheer structure of the pricing. So let's count the tickets. Let's go by the tickets. That's where I want to go. That way it can start to make sense when you can say a movie is successful. Because Avatar is going to be successful. Because Avatar is going to leverage having different ways to fucking buy the ticket prices. But that won't make Avatar a good movie, worth watching, or anything of that nature. But Scorsese says this. Um... Since the 80s, there's been a focus on numbers. It's kind of repulsive. As a filmmaker and as a person who can't imagine life without cinema, I always find it really insulting. I've always known that such considerations have no place at the New York Film Festival. And here's, uh, here's the key also. There are no awards here. You don't have to compete. You just have to love cinema. Love it. Now, he's talking about um, a festival, uh, his festival. But... Uh, yeah. There's this weird obsession. First week, first weekend, first opening weekend, all this stuff, box office, all this type of stuff. But that doesn't mean that that movie was good. I've seen more. Uh, Netflix is a great example. Beast of a Beast of a Wild, Beast of a Wild. I believe Idris Elba wasn't nominated. I think it was nominated or was supposed to be some with it. In the Academy it was one of the best films, but it didn't sell any. Uh, it had to go to theater to qualify, but it only had to show in like a few theaters. But I saw it, and I saw it at home. Many of us saw it at home. Many of us highly regarded from home. COVID showed us how much we could do from home, and we enjoyed it. And for a short while, we just talked about how good movies were. You didn't have to hear about box office. How much money it made. Granted. Granted. Studios have to make the money that they invest back. That's their job to figure out. But as a viewer, when we get caught up into this, it's kind of silly. It's kind of silly. I have been in debates about movies. It's like, well, such and such made this amount of money. I could give a fuck how much money it made. Did I enjoy it? Did it did it did it scratch me where I itch? Did it hit the points that I enjoy when I watch a film? That's the only thing I care about. Um that one makes it kind of report hard sometimes. I'm a beat up YouTubers and I guess I'm ranting now, and that's all I'm really gonna do on this podcast. Uh, I go on YouTube and I see people talk about films and they get into that. Well, uh uh, other movie podcasts, they start talking about, well, fucking Batman made this and Spider-Man made that. I mean, and it's an indicator that like uh, Suicide Squad and this person don't know what they're talking about and really needs to, all this shit that means like nothing. They get caught into that because that's the only point of reference you get. That's the only, because 
art is subjective. It's all about what the viewer brings to that experience in that moment. It's the only thing that these pundits can really talk about because they don't want to talk about the, quote, boring stuff, the deeper uh, pieces that come with these films. Um, you know, and, and it honestly brings me back to Strange World. Like, everything, to say that it lost 140, well, last thing I saw, it lost $147 million, $143 million, $43 million. Who gives a fuck other than the people who are responsible for putting it out? Did you enjoy it? Why are you talking about it was marketed poorly? Did you enjoy it? You found out about it. You watch it. Did you enjoy it? It's really just about your individual experience in that and the collective of the, of the people that you watch it with. Did you get it? Did y'all get it? Did y'all enjoy it? Did y'all talk about it? it? Like, that's the only thing that should move you about this beautiful art of filmmaking and storytelling, not how much money it made. Why, why, why do I, as the layperson, give a fuck? Why am I talking about the marketing department? I found out about it. I'm gonna tell someone about it. That ain't gonna make them watch it, unless I hold them hostage. Fall. That was the name of the movie. That's one of the recent movies I watched called Fall. I enjoyed it. Um, or Tower. I think it has like two titles. Whatever. Uh, so if you saw Strange World and you enjoy it, you enjoy it. Why get caught up into like it wasn't marketed? You saw it. Treat it as your own special gem. Um, but at the same time, these places got to make money. Disney got to make money. They have to figure out how to make the money. If they didn't have time to figure out how to make the money, then they just put it out, piss poorly, and it doesn't do well. But well only matters to to the business portion of it. Don't worry about the business. Um, let me see. Let's move forward. Quentin Tarantino. Well, I don't want to talk more about fucking big Hollywood movies, so I'm not going to talk about that. Um, I will talk about this though. Not a little, just, 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 just a little bit. Just a little bit before I move into one more little topic. Uh, Jason Bloom, James Wan. Jason Bloom, who's responsible for many, uh, uh, is the new Lionsgate. Bloom House is the new Lionsgate. Lionsgate used to be the one you see. Well, A24. It's a bunch of studios now that's just really killing it on these horror films. Jason Bloom is one of them. He's he's one of those people that are taking risks. Taking risks on weird stories, strange stories, and putting them out. Putting big money behind, making sure people see them. That's the one thing about horror films is that uh, there's something for everybody. You like really bloody movies? Go see Terrifier. If you like something that's a little bit more thrilling, um, um, The Tower. Uh, at some movie, uh, that isn't super bloody, but it's thrilling. It's fun. And Bloomhouse is behind some of these. Bloomhouse did something during the pandemic. I think around this time, or at least in October where he had like five movies back to back to back to back that were just all killers and they're all streamable. Uh, not all killers, but they were they were thrillers, horrors, like all different genres. It's a really fun thing. James Wan, who's a part of Saw series, who's a part of Insidious. Uh, he had that one bullshit movie that I didn't enjoy. 
Um, I can't think of the name of it, but God, it was fucking. I mean, not that it was awful. It was good up until a point. Uh, damn, I'm gonna look for it because it's damn. It was like his passion project, and I, I, I mean, I watched it with high hopes, and it just ate shit for me. Oh god, it's fucking phone. Um. Uh, malignant. God, malignant. All right, here we go. We talking about malignant real quick. James one, you can eat a dick for that fucking movie. I'm sorry, you gave me a great movie for damn near forty minutes. Forty minutes. I was like, man, this movie is kind of wild, enjoyable. Then the motherfucker started walking backwards. Then motherfucker head grew out of a head, like. The person who's being possessed, or actually don't even know what's going on, really was trying to figure it out, started looking like a fucking cockroach. And I'm like, this can't be the movie everyone's raving about. It can't be. There's no way. Oh, this movie is fun. Oh, James won. I mean, ah, this, it was fucking no, it's not horrendous. Just one of those movies. It's one, you know what it was? It's one of those movies where there was like, hey, he said, look, I done made a bunch of movies that I don't want to make for y'all. I done made a bunch of movies work that shouldn't have worked. Can I do the movie that I want to do now? And they said, okay. And he said, but I'm going to make it and I don't want to hear shit. I'm going to put it out. And it was like, okay and they put this shit out called malignant and it was ignorant i fucking hate this no i don't hate it i love 40 minutes of it once it starts taking its turn where this possession starts to come out the body and start living life backwards where it just it was fucking dumb it didn't it didn't give me what I thought I was giving. And when it started, it's kind of one of those movies like once you in it, you in it. It's like, all right, I didn't invested it too much. Maybe this weird shit is going to start to make sense. And it never did. It never did. Hate that fucking movie. Said all that to say, Jason Bloom and James Wan are coming together to create a, 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 Horror movie fucking company. Let me see. What's the information on? Ah, oh, okay. Well. God. Yeah, they're putting it together. I can't find the name of it. So, that's one thing we'll talk about. It's just some movie, quick movie news. But here, this is one thing I'm going to get into real quick. Is, uh. Making movies. We're getting to making movies. You're listening to this. I'll probably put this out on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash Arrow Films. I try to put a lot of clips, bigger clips of the show there so you can watch it. If you don't like have Spotify, don't want to listen on Spotify, put some stuff there. This will be there. Making movies. So, 
watching YouTube, I get into the YouTube hole, and I start seeing people say, hey, this is how you make movies. If you want to get people to watch your movie, do this. Here's some ideas of how to tell a story. Best way to tell a story. Here's how to get lighting. Here's how to do this. And what sucks about that, I'm very much one of those people that like, go make this shit. Go make this shit. But I have realized that I've been in this unique position where I can just go make shit happen. I've taken my weaknesses and I've been like, okay, I don't really know how to write. So let me learn how to write. Let me learn how to write a script. So I spend a lot of time writing scripts. I have several, several scripts now. I don't want to be a movie writer, screenwriter. Uh, well, I really like holding a camera, but how do you shoot a film? I don't really know this. So I learned how to DP. Learn how to DP. I learned about lenses. I learned about uh, focal ranges, shutters, different theory with camera movement, all this type of stuff. Sound, okay, Foley, mixing, what's good for dialogue, how to make great trailers, how to do all this stuff. I learned all these things in order to be better at the role I actually want to have in being a director and the showrunner. That's what I'd much rather do. That's why I learned all these other things. But it came a point when I'm watching, I'm watching YouTube, I'm watching all this shit. It came a point where I realized, like, yo, this can be really fucking intimidating. It can be really intimidating for someone to say, hey, just go make a film when they just got off of YouTube and they see this beautiful, sharp picture. They see these beautiful, expensive lenses. They see all this good sound design. They see a room full of lights uh, and modifiers and uh, uh, jibs, uh, stabilizers. All these things are going on. And you're telling, go make a movie. Just go make a movie. That can be really intimidating, frightening, and scary because you look at like how expensive that can be. And a lot of us are watching, and I'm going to speak probably mostly for minorities, um, low-income storytellers, or someone that just works a nine-to-five to get by in their middle class, and they don't have a lot of uh, exposable income. It can be very uh, intimidating when, you know, all you want to do is, like, be a great storyteller. Like, you have a real passion for this. Like, if you had it, you could you could go fucking... Like, you feel like you can go somewhere. So the immediate thing that everyone thinks, and I've been in these in these, in these uh, situations, I've been in these conversations, I've been in these panels, all this, the first and number one thing people do is say, money. I need some money. Yeah, um, you like a motherfucker, you need, need some money if you're trying to be what YouTube tell you. Not that they're wrong. Yes, you absolutely fucking need some money. I think that's pretty much the theme of today's episode is needing money and how money really makes these things revolve. But in the course of getting money, you're not getting better at any part of the creative process. 
I just told you how I learned all these things so I could be a better version of what I'm trying to be. It did cost some money. It has been costly. There have been items that I've purchased that I don't even use today that are still fucking good items that it could be useful, but it's not my style. This is the quest that you're on. This is the journey you're on is figuring out what that is. But the longer you sit up and talk about money, the less that you're getting better at the thing that you want to be or learning the thing that you want to do. Again, I'm going to be on the side of like, just go do it. Now, I understand it's intimidating and I just kind of I'm going back and forth on this line so I'm going to talk this out there is the theme of teamwork it's odd because I just made a commercial series about it takes a team but the thing about teamwork and finding that team that is your team because not only do you need money, you need people that's going to like support what you're trying to do. It's going to support uh, these ideas and, and ways of thinking that you have. You're going to need those people. They're hard to come by. But you know how you meet those people? Not going to want to hear this, but by doing it. As you start, everyone that I've met in this journey, I've met because I was doing it and then they were doing it and like we're not all like doing it at the same level we don't all have access to the same resources but we all kind of on the same mission uh y'all may not even believe in each other but y'all believe in yourself enough to help another person because you may need their help and I think that's what 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 the most expensive lesson that isn't being uh, promoted is not just doing it, but doing it so you can go find that tribe of people that you can learn from, that you can learn with, that uh, uh, can challenge you, that can put you in position sometimes. You know, in, in the course of doing it, I met some people they wouldn't call themselves producers, but they're basically have acted as producers in some cases. Uh, I'm working on a project right now uh, that I'm developing with uh, uh, about Gordon Parks and his son. And some of the people that I've talked to along the way of like, you know, who's going to be an integral part of this uh, project. They're not walking around calling themselves producers. But the role that they have to play in, in making this thing happen would be a producer. But I meet them because I made this other thing who allowed me to make and break bread with uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Lisa Tatum. She's not a filmmaker. She's, she's just an enthusiast. She loves film. She loves the arts. Well, I met her while I was making something else for someone else who threw my name into a conversation. Now, I've been lone wolfing it. I'm not saying I was making stuff with this whole crew of people. I've been lone wolfing it. But in the course of that time, I've had people like uh, Adam, who um, we haven't even worked together on a project. 
I guess he he was an extra in one of my films. But we haven't really exclusively worked together. I always just kind of talk about creating and building and things like that. His DP, Kenny, uh, is, you know, they're like a team. They're a directing team. I've worked with Kenny. Kenny just wanted something to do to kind of help other creative people who are constantly creating. Haven't ever paid Kenny. I tried to pay Kenny one time. Kenny told me, uh, pay me when we make it. To then, we're just loving the art of this. That's one of the most endearing things that someone has told me in this journey. Pay me when we make it. The idea that we chase, Kenny brought, I have had cameras, not the best cameras. Kenny brought his camera to help me shoot an interview one time. He owns this expensive ass camera. Now I got it. I, now I have expensive ass cameras, but he owns this expensive ass camera that he brought into this. I have never paid Kenny. I fed Kenny. Gotta make sure Kenny eat. But he's he 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 brought himself. And so that relationship makes Kenny tell someone else about me. And I can do this. I can have this. I can keep breaking and stringing this kind of narrative down over and over in long ways and short ways. But none of that that I told you involved a whole bunch of money. Uh, Strangers in the Diner is my biggest project uh, ever that I ever shot, that I ever been a part of, that I ever been lead on. Literally, my my biggest uh, when I look at the talent, Constance, uh, uh, makeup artist, I reached out to her. People kept saying, I'm looking at like, I don't know if I can afford Constance because I got to pay for all this other shit, all these other things. Constance said, just pay. Me. So I asked her, you know, how much, whatever. She tells me, she said, well, you know, I'm willing to help. Just pay me for materials. Tell me what you need. Just pay me to, um, you know, for the makeup and all this type of stuff. Okay, cool. Constance come out to the shoot. Constance is she just produced on a Discovery Channel. She's just she's she's produced all over the country. A and E, um, uh, and done makeup. So this is a person who's worth their weight in gold. Constance comes to the shoot. She gets uh, Victoria, one of the actresses, uh, put together for her role. I said, okay, how much I owe you? Don't worry about it. Are you, are you sure? Nah, you know, I see what you got going on here. I just want you to, I just want to help you make this thing happen. God bless Constance. Andrew Claycomb, DP, Strangers in the Diner. He just had a Netflix show, got several Netflix shows. He was like, hey, we got to do it this time. This time if we don't do it because I'm being fucking indie shooting some shit for, um, uh, uh, Garmin or one of these GPS com- GPS companies. Like, all right, I reached out to him. I, I knew I wanted him to be involved, at least be camera, just something, because I, I respect his talent. I say, let me give you my script. I want you to read it. If Tell me what you think. And, you know, if you, I would love for you to be a part of this. Tell me how much. Comes back, I'll do it for free. You know? Cause I see how hard you work. I see what you do with other people. 
do it for free. One gonna ask him twice. Cause I know, I know he's expensive. He brings someone else who's equally expensive. He brings the audio guy who's equally ex- Ryan, equally expensive. I mean, I've never, I've never had a situation mic'd up the way I had it mic'd up. Um, if it wasn't for Ryan. I have uh we had a grip, David. He's worked with he's works, you know, one to one with uh Andrew. You know, all these people in the course of doing it come together over time. It didn't cost me I mean, I ain't gonna say it didn't cost me nothing, but it cost me something, but it was able to happen in the mat in the matter of doing it. Everyone's waiting for the perfect time. Not everyone. A lot of people waiting for the perfect time and the perfect moment to create when they could just go create. You could actually, I'll give you one more and we'll get out of here. My very first documentary, Saddle Butter Axel, BMX Story. How that got made was I was at the skate park. All I was trying to do is figure out how to make a dope ass movie opening. That's what I wanted to do, make a dope-ass movie opening. So I go down to the skate park. I go, um, I'm just shooting B-roll, as I know it to be called today. I, I didn't know that then, but I'm just shooting video, B-roll, at the skate park. Every time I went, it was always kind of empty. So I finally went back on, like, a weekend that it was bustling. And so this kid comes up to me and says, uh, Hey, who are you shooting for? I'm like, oh, no, nah, I'm just shooting some independent stuff. Oh, okay, you're not like a sponsor or anything like that? Say, no, nah, but, you know, I'm just kind of trying to make a documentary. You know, I would love to talk to you. Okay, sure. You want to get me doing some tricks and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that is what I want to get. And then I have a documentary. I, I did three weekends with Damian Looney. We made this documentary uh, about him and his life and, you know, working, not working at the skate park, but what he was a BMXer. But uh, being at the skate park and how biking is really one of those, BMXing is one of those things that he's passionate about and really kept him out of trouble. So I tell that story because by that time, I had just been playing around with the camera. I had a little camcorder, Canon X8, uh, HX30, uh, 60, 90, some shit like that. I still have it. It's sitting on my desk right now. Um, but I was, I had been playing around with it, trying to make these cool little openers uh, for horror films because in my mind, I always want to make a horror film, and I'm basically there now. Um, but I was out doing it. I was out trying to make something, didn't know what it was, just trying to make something. And then I met someone who practically changed my entire life. Changed the whole course of my life. Just because he asked, hey, are you shooting for someone? Who are you shooting for? And I just happened to be out with a camera, getting something done, trying something. And fast forward, I have, I mean, I work in commercial production. I work in TV production. Um, My life is creating now, being the creative person every single day, every single day. 
But if you're watching it on YouTube or you're watching on Spotify, you see behind me these two posters. Those are posters from successful pieces of work that I've done. Uh, I'm look. I mean, uh, I'm just saying, it's real easy to say, just go do it. It's real intimidating to look at what uh, just go do it looks like. But you got to keep in mind, when you look at that person on YouTube who's speaking as an authority figure, when you listen to someone like me that's speaking like authority figure, you're looking at a at a mile marker on a journey. You're not looking at the beginning. <laughs> this ain't the start. So that means that you're not going to start with everything. You're not going to start with all the pieces. You're not going to start with all the friends and the connections and the money, the money, the money. Some people do. They're not that good. Some people are. But whatever. You're not. You're not going to start that way. You're going to start trying to figure it out. And the only way you can figure it out is by doing it. When you do it, eventually you make the connections. When you do it, eventually you meet the people. When you do it, eventually you learn how. When you do it, eventually you learn how. When you do it, eventually you learn what not to do. When you do it, eventually you make the money. When you do it, eventually you make it. Don't measure your start by someone else's mile marker. Measure your start by starting. This is the All New Midnight Movie Club. I'm your host, Lester Rowe. You can follow me on all social media at Arrow Films or go to arrowfilms.net or arrowfilms.com, A-R-O-W-E, films. Be sure to follow on all social media, TikTok, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. That's place, that place. Watch exclusively on Spotify. Clips are all over the place, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Um, and be on the lookout for, well, I'll let you know when this shit is coming. The screening room. And we got new interviews coming. Got more conversations coming up every Wednesday. Midnight Movie Club. Till next time, thanks for joining.